This is the Drummer's Resource Podcast, session 145. And the quote of the day is from Winston Churchill, who said, We make a living by what we get. We make a life by what we give. You're listening to the Drummer's Resource Podcast, home of in-depth interviews with the world's greatest drummers and industry professionals. Information, education, and motivation for drumming and beyond. What's going on, everybody? Nick Ruffini here with another session of the Drummer's Resource Podcast. And for all of you who celebrate Christmas, I hope you had a a fantastic Christmas. I hope you had a great weekend. And here we are on Monday. And this week's a little... This week's a little weird. It's that between Christmas and New Year's week, so everybody's sort of checked out and and uh, you know just getting ready for 2016. But I hope everything is going well, and I hope you got some big plans for for 2016. I'm really looking forward to it. I got a lot of a lot of stuff that's going to be happening in 2016. 2016. That's hard to say for some reason. Anyway, let's get into it. This session is brought to you by DW Drums, and as you know, I've been playing DW for years, not only because they make great drums, but because they support and follow drumming initiatives all over the world like this podcast they've been a supporter of the podcast for a long time and will continue to be a supporter in 2016 so be sure to thank them head over to facebook or twitter or instagram and, and say thank you for supporting this podcast or check them out at dwdrums.com also, got to give it up for my friends over at Dream Symbols for being a supporter of the podcast as well. Dream Symbols are different because they like to keep it simple. They make high quality handcrafted symbols and gongs, but they price them well below everybody else's prices. And they have a new pack called the Ignition Pack. And this is a really cool pack that is priced for beginners, but made for the professionals. And this Ignition Pack does one thing and inspires you to start your engine. So check them out today at dreamsymbols.com. Another sponsor to note is Promark Drumsticks and Promark has their new select balance, which is a new way of prototyping and a new way of selecting sticks. So you can select your tip, your taper, your balance point, all of that custom to you and how you like your drumsticks. So be sure to check them out today at promark.com. All right, listen, guys, there's only about a week left to join Drummers Resource Pro at the discounted rate. So Drummers Resource Pro is a new interactive membership site that I started where you can interact with and learn from legendary drummers and music industry pros. Every other week, we have a live video masterclass where you can sit online with them, chat with them, ask them questions and all that. And it's all video. So you get immediate uh, you get immediate feedback from them. Also, you can submit your questions if you can't attend the masterclass and we'll answer the questions inside of the masterclass. Plus, we record everything. So you can go back and watch any of the videos because you only actually take in about 10% the first time. So it's good to be able to go back and check them out. Also, you can download the MP3 version so you can listen to them on the go. And uh, there's PDF summaries and action steps and, and all sorts of things. And then it allows you to also sign up for upcoming masterclasses. So the price on that is $9.99 a month. It's going up to $14.99 a month at the first of the year. So I urge you to go to drummersresourcepro.com. Check it out. Learn about it. There's a video there. It tells you all about it. And again, lock in the price for $9.99 a month. And that price is good forever. So if you sign up now, in 2035, it'll still be $9.99 a month for you. So, Well, I don't know about 2035. It may be $10.99 a month by then. But you get what I'm saying. Check it out. DrummersResourcePro.com. Now let's get into this interview. Today I have Richard Danielson. And this is 
just an awesome interview for multiple reasons. One, he's in the band Vintage Trouble, and I love Vintage Trouble. They're probably one of my favorite bands. I found out about them a few years ago and just was blown away by them, and they're they're just having awesome sounds. So I, I urge you to check them out. But this story that he has is amazing. Uh, he played for a while and, and got out of playing for about 10 years and then comes back and joins this band, and then they're on tour with The Who and The Rolling Stones. And, and he has a really cool way of, of approaching playing. Uh, he's a purist with a lot of things in terms of sound and and things like that and has some really cool advice for just, for just staying true to uh, the craft and sort of following the muse rather than really trying to to chase something that's uh, that's not there. So I hope you enjoy this as much as I enjoyed having a conversation with him. It was really inspiring and, and motivating me to, to sort of just go out there and just play to play, which is really interesting. So without further ado, Richard Danielson. Richard, what's happening, man? Thank you so much for doing this. I appreciate it. Oh, here we are, Nick. Finally. I mean, finally, here we are. Uh, sorry for being a little elusive. I've been out on tour, but thanks for hanging in with me. No no problem at all, man. Schedules schedules get a little crazy, So, uh, but I appreciate you doing this, man. I got I to gotta tell you, I'm a, I'm a big fan of what you guys do. Uh, I, I was mentioning earlier, and we had some audio problems, but so I, you guys, I remember seeing you guys on, on the Supercuts commercial and then the Honda commercial, and I forget which one came first. I think it was the Supercuts, right? I think it was Supercuts, yeah. And then... So and I thought I actually just thought you guys were actors, right? So then I see you guys on the Honda commercial, and I'm like, wait a minute, these guys are an actual band. And then I looked, and then I looked you guys up, and I was like, oh, these guys are the shit. So <laughs> from then, I've just I've been a fan. So I'm a well. It's cool that the commercial brought you to us because you know our first reaction to Supercuts calling us was like, come on, we're way too cool to do a Supercuts commercial, right? You know, I mean. You know, would Led Zeppelin do a Supercuts commercial? You know, we were asking all the stupid questions, you know. Right, right, which right. Are fair questions to ask. You, did know? You, you did just compare yourself to Led Zeppelin, but. That's, <laughs> wow. Uh, <laughs> no, but, you know, with somebody. No, 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 I get it. I get it. You know, yeah, I mean, you know, with somebody raw and consider themselves dirty and, and really trying to, to, to be this, you know, sort of raw rock and roll band, you know, you know, people use the word like selling out and stuff when you, when you right. get on these commercials because they can come off as maybe a little cheesy and then all of a sudden people don't take you serious. Mm hmm. You know, mm-hmm. um, but we couldn't have been more wrong about that. And as you probably saw in the commercial, they did a really great job on just capturing the essence of what we are, what right. we are. You know, yep. and then it also brought us a tremendous amount of um, publicity, and even enabled us to stay out on the road with the Who because you know the commercial paid. Right. And uh, as you know, historically, you know, bands go out and they open for these big acts, but that doesn't necessarily mean that there's money in there you know Mm -hmm. so supercuts really was a great thing in the end and you know we learned a huge lesson that we're actually not that cool um (laughs) we just need to hang in and try to make it happen you know well i i think you're pretty cool man i gotta tell you that i i put a thing on facebook a long time ago and i was like my new favorite band equals Uh, vintage trouble so i'm like i'm digging digging what you guys are doing man you're right up my alley so for the for the listeners who don't know uh, who you guys are and and more specifically who you are, just give a little bit of of who you are, what you do, and and a small amount of your backstory, and then we can really dive into it. Sure. Well, Richard Danielson, that's my name, and um, I'm playing drums with the band Vintage Trouble. Uh, we formed in 2010. 
Um, quick backstory on me, you know, I've always wanted to play the drums. Uh, you know, drums chose me. It's a typical story, I think, with most drummers. Uh, you know, I, I'm the kid beating on his desk in grade school. Um, but I couldn't really afford a drum set until I was 14. And then I started playing professionally at 15. I guess, you know, professionally means you just get paid for it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I had a tremendous amount of desire, like, kind of backed up in me. Uh, that when I got a drum set, I just went crazy. You know, I finally had the drums and I just practiced and practiced. Um, and so I moved to Los Angeles at 21, uh, you know, chasing that Los Angeles dream. That was back when the, you know, music capital of the world supposedly was Los Angeles and everyone from around the world seemed to move to LA, even though I was born in LA and I'm a California native. Um, and then I played till about 95 and then, you know, I quit playing drums in 95 to 2010, so I stopped for about 15 years. Um, and then, so Vintage Trouble is really my comeback. Not a bad way to come back. Uh, I'm honored, and, and I, I pinch myself every day, to be honest with you. So what, is, what got you into playing in the first place? You know, I just, more, more so than drums, I, I mean, drums is what I gravitated to, but really it was just the spirit of music. I just remember being so young and just, loving music and not always listening to what the drummer was doing, just being enthralled by the spirit of it. It just lifted me, you know? Um, and I just couldn't get enough music. And then if I had to choose an instrument, it was definitely going to be drums because the rhythm was just in me. Um, you know, I, even a funny story, I remember listening to Van Halen as a kid, you know, and I didn't really listen to Alex Van Halen so much. I really was completely taken by Eddie Van Halen, but yet I didn't want to be, a guitar player. I really wanted to be a drummer. Right. Um, but you know, his rhythm guitar was so ferocious and just the way he phrased things and just, there was so much spirit in it. Um, but that's, you know, that's kind of when I was sort of a teenager as a young kid though, it was just all kinds of music. And my mom sang in the jazz choir. So I was always around music. Um, and she really sort of, uh, you know, let me play the drums once I got a drum set. I mean, kudos to the moms out there and the dads, or any parents that, you know, I mean, to have their kids play the drums, that's, ah, yeah. <laughs> to, to let them play the drums, you know. Right. Um, so really, I think, you know, rhythm chose me and music lifted me and it was going to be drums. And uh, I knew I wanted to be a drummer from as long as I can remember. I just couldn't afford a drum set. My mom couldn't afford a drum set. And it finally happened at 14 and I just kind of went crazy from there. So how long did you play before you, before you stopped playing? I played from uh, from a fourteen to about let's see, so nineteen ninety five. So I was probably about twenty eight, twenty nine. I would think. Right, and it's an inter. I I I remember reading this. Uh, you were recently on the cover of Drum, and so I read the the article there, and I it was a fascinating story about how you how you quit and then how you got back into playing. But let's let's talk about that story a little bit, like what because I know you got into acting and and different things. So what was sort of the the driving force behind you quitting and and pursuing well, other interests? It was kind of a strange thing in Los Angeles. Like it, it kind of really was probably the music capital of the world. But you know, Nirvana came and the whole um, Seattle invasion really just wiped Los Angeles off the map. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not a reason to stop playing. I continued till ninety five, and you know, Nirvana was about ninety two. Um, and I think I just got burned out on chasing. I mean, I was in in and out of really good bands and we had record deals and, you know, a lot of good things happened. But it was almost like an end of an era when that whole 
Seattle invasion came and um, I could either continue on as sort of a, not really a session guy, but you know, just a drummer for hire and just kind of go out there and try to do stuff because it seems like all the bands kind of went away. Um, Los Angeles at that time was just filled with, you know, good old fashioned rock and roll bands, you know, guys with guitars, bass, drummers, singers, and everyone was in bands, you know, and after that, it just seemed like it got a little harder. Um, a lot of people quit playing, a lot of people moved, people didn't want to have anything to do with Los Angeles in a, in a strange way. And so at that point, I was just like, I was in a good band. I was called the, we were called the poor boys. Uh, we had a nice record deal, but we just weren't getting any love. You know, I was driving to practice out in Orange County, like an hour and a half, one way, you know, three, four nights a week. Um, and it just became sort of a grind and I wasn't loving it anymore. And oddly enough, you know, living in Hollywood, I just kind of stumbled into acting. It was something that I'd never really intended to do, but I started getting busy doing it. And I started getting so busy that I would have to call my band and be like, I can't make rehearsal. And then eventually it's like, I can't make the show because I'm out of town doing a film or something. And it just kind of swept me out of music. Um, and, you know, I, I had a real problem with it at the time. Like, God, am I really going to quit music? This is all I ever really wanted to do. Right. Um, but, you know, I think that as a human, I just, I had another voice and I had other things that, you know, were kind of calling me and, and I was making money also at acting and I wasn't really making any money at music at the time. And, um, you know, this might be kind of a taboo subject, but since this is the drummers forum, we could talk drum stuff. Yeah. Um, but you know, it's interesting that all those years that I spent in those bands that, you know, when it came time to slice up the pie, you know, for some reason my slice was always the smallest slice which I couldn't quite understand. Now, I, I get, you know, the, the, the songwriting and the publishing and stuff. If, right. if you're a hired guy and you're coming into a situation and a guy's a singer-songwriter and they're hiring you to do a gig, I get it. But, you know, when a drummer is in there, you know, pounding it out night after night and sweating it out and giving his heart and his soul and showing up to rehearsal, um, I think bands should be bands. And, you know, the classic story of most of these bands that have broken up through the years, it a lot of it has to come down to people feeling like they're not getting their fair take, you know? Right. Um, and I always felt like a really musical drummer, you know? I mean, I, I was the guy that was probably going to dictate how the intro went, how the outro went, you know, how we're going to translate into bridges. Um, uh, you know, I might take the feel and take it from 6-8 to 4-4. Four, four. I mean, you know, for me, I might put a certain swing on it or an attitude. So when you look at that song, you know, I felt like I was just as much a part of that song as the guy that came in and wrote the lyric or the guitar part of the melody, mm -hmm. you know, and sure. that kind of burned my, you know, it just kind of burned me a little bit that, wow, like, you know, I, I really feel like a, a part of these songs and I've really given, you know, a certain character to them. Um, and at the same, at the end of it, there wasn't much for me on the pie, you know, right. so that kind of also burned me out. So when, when I started making a bunch of money as an actor, I'm like, well, you know, maybe I'm going to stop music for a little while. Uh, the interesting part, though, is I didn't really stop music. I, I bought a piano and started playing piano, ah. which is not something I intended to do either. So, you know, music didn't leave me. I just started expressing it in another way. And it ended up being this incredible journey because I went from playing drums to all of a sudden, you know, composing these piano pieces. And then, you know, I was bringing in strings, you know, even though it was on a keyboard and I was, you know, trying my hand at guitar and putting some bass on it and uh, doing all this you know, experimenting. And I'm really, really proud of what I 
came up with. It's, it's, it's not sounding like anyone. I'm not trained at it. So I'm coming at it from a drummer. And as you know, a lot of drummers make good composers in the end, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So that was a journey that came out of it. Um, but man, I had to find my way back to drumming and I did in about 2009, you know, I just started dabbling again. I had no intention on, you know, trying to find success. I just wanted to play the drums, you know? Right. Um, and I started jamming and going to some jam sessions and meeting people and kind of just getting back in it. And I met Ty Taylor, the singer for Vintage Trouble, um, up in Laurel Canyon and in the Hollywood Hills, which is where I live. And there's these great jam sessions up here, you know, kind of late night stony jam sessions. And, um, God, I swear anything I would throw out to this guy, you know, rhythmically, he would come back with uh, a melody and a, you know, and a, and a, you know, and a lyric, you know, mm-hmm. off the top of his head. And we were just bouncing off each other like crazy. And we did this three or four different nights over, you know, probably a six month period. And I remember telling the guy, man, I'd, I'd love to make this into something, you know. And when his band broke up, he called me and said, you know, that time has come. So nice. uh, that was kind of my getting back into music. Um, and, you know, Vintage Trouble hadn't formed. It was just, you know, it wasn't a band. So we all kind of formed it together. Uh, which is really nice to come into something like that from the ground up. Sure. And, you know, put my personality and my voice in it and make it my own. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's it just really feels good to be in a band. I've always been a band kind of guy rather than, you know, a hired kind of guy. I just, you know, I, I grew up in an era where there were bands and that's just kind of what we did, you know. Mm-hmm. So if I would have continued drumming in 95, I probably would have had to go for more of the higher gun session kind of work, which would have been really cool. I mean, I'm, uh, you know, I, I kind of kicked myself for not continuing, you know? Right. Um, but that time off is weird. And, you know, I, I talked about it in a little bit in that article is it made me more of a whole person. I was able to travel a lot. You know, I, I discovered writing and I discovered acting and I just, just discovered all these different art forms for myself. And it just kind of rounded me out, I think. So it's strange that when I came back to drums, um, I didn't have the chops, but, I feel like I had a feel that I didn't have before. And I think that feel came from just living, you know, sure, just growing as a person and becoming more mature. You know, it's, it's interesting to touch on one of the things that, that you brought up about saying, okay, I'm going to stop playing drums for a little while and, you know, or maybe gravitate towards something else. And you, and you start to feel bad about it. And I've actually had, you know, I've had sort of the same kind of things go on with me because I love other things other than music. You know, and you're like, man, do I, am I a bad person for doing this? Do I like, (laughs) you start to feel, feel like you're, you're, uh, you're insulting the music gods, but at the same time, if there's something pulling you in one direction or not, like, I mean, I have people that, that talk to me about it too. And they're like, man, I'm, I'm really interested in doing this other thing too. And I'm like, well, you should go do that as well. You know, you don't, you don't Mm -hmm. have to just, just always just be playing drums and if you're not doing that then you're a complete failure because you like other things or you know whatever the case may be no it's so true and, and to each their own and the world's such a big place there's there's room for everyone to do all kinds of different things you know i really do admire though the drummers that have woodshedded their craft you know for years and years and years and are just so darn good you know i really have a lot of respect for those guys and as a young kid i really wanted to be that guy um but somewhere in there, I realized that I'm not actually going to be the best drummer in the world. You know, uh, not that I ever really wanted to be that, but I wanted to really be a player. You know, I never wanted mm-hmm. to go for. To, I was never the guy that really wanted to be a rock star or anything like that. I really just wanted to be a player. I loved the drums. You know, and it's a little hard not to be intimidated today. Even I mean, 
there are just some monster, monster players out there. Just every, every guy you look at just seems like he's a monster, you know? Yeah. Like, I don't know what happened. You know, when we were kids, like when we were skateboarding, um, we wouldn't dream of doing the stuff guys are doing today on skateboards. And it's the same with like motorcycles. And this, mm-hmm. you know, guys are doing stuff on motorcycles that you just wouldn't dream of as a kid when you were riding motorcycles. The same with drums. I mean, guys have just gotten so good on drums. I mean, there were great drummers back in the day, of course, but now it just seems like everybody's a great drummer. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing, man. Like I go on YouTube and I feel like I either want to quit playing drums or lock myself in a closet for a little while and just shed. It's scary. It's insane. It's scary. And it, and it makes you humble, but it makes you also look at what it's all about. And, you know, I hate to use the cliche, but I guess cliches are there because they're the cliche and they're, they work, you know, but it really is about the, you know, the chase and it's your own chase, you know, the, the, the journey, you know? Mm-hmm. So, you know, I don't really compare myself to other drummers. I, I try to get better in my own world and, and, and follow my own path. And, um, that's all you can do. You know, you can't chase other guys. You can chase them as, as far as getting inspiration, but, um, I don't feel competitive when I play drums. I'm not that guy, you know? Right. Right. Uh, if you want to be a better drummer to, than me, then by all means, uh, I salute you. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? So, so it's what a fun, do you, fun chase though. What's your, uh, so what is, what, what is the chase for you? Well, it's funny when I first came back to the drums, um, the chase was since I, since I didn't have a lot of, you know, of my facility there, it was really about trying to groove, which is what I probably should have been doing when I was a young kid, mm-hmm. you know? Um, when I was a kid, I, I loved bands like Rush and Yes and, you know, a lot of progressive stuff, you know? Um, and that's great stuff, you know? But if I had it over to do again, I probably would have tried to been a pocket groove drummer because I think that that's just what kind of turns me on and has always turned me on, actually. I just, I think as, as a kid, you know, you want to show off a little more, you know, because you're right. just, you know, you're just a kid. You know, I wanted to play like Neil Peart, you well, know. And it's also, you know, I think as as a young player, and because I know I went through this, and I think that everybody does, that when you can play chops, that's, in your mind, that's progress. So, you know, if you're just sitting there playing the same groove, I don't think you have the mental the drumming capacity or the drumming mental capacity, I should say, to realize like, oh, this groove is getting better or this groove is getting, you know, it feels better and it grooves harder. To you, it just sounds like the same exact thing over and over and over again. And right. it's like, well, I want to play chops because I want to see some progress to keep me going. That's what I think that's what it was for me anyway, as a young kid. No, you're right. And those subtleties of, of this groove is getting better. As a kid, you wouldn't know those subtleties. Like now it's starting to swing or now mm-hmm. my pocket's starting to widen and, and it's really you know, it's a big pocket now, you know, right. um, but coming back to drums. So I was just trying to pocket up, you know, in our first album, I was just trying to play simple. Like you'd have, you'd probably have to tell me to take a fill, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and that was exciting to me though, you know? And so that's kind of what I was chasing. And so that was my chase, you know? And then I got some facility and now I'm, you know, I'm starting to, to do other things, of course. Um, and it's all kind of coming back to me. I feel like, to be honest with you, I'm just starting now to, not not take it seriously, but say, okay, I have a career again, so maybe it's time to start woodshedding again for real, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, I do want to be a better drummer, and I do want to represent, and I do feel like, you know, I, I do feel like I'm, I, I feel like a good drummer, you know, but but I know I can be so much better, you know? And you got to practice, you know? And the other thing, I've been out on tour for five years, and God, believe it or not, it's, a lot of guys might say, 
you know, BS, like they found a way and that's great. But I kind of find it hard to practice out on the road. Yeah. You know? I mean, you get sound check, you know, I'm the guy that wants to improvise on sound check and go crazy and, and, you know, come up with new ideas and go all nuts, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, some of the other guys would rather just, you know, throw out one of the songs that we're going to do so that we can just get the sound check over with. And, you know, it's all about the sound check, you know? Um, and then if I want to stick around after sound check, there's either another band coming in or people are filing into the place and I'm making noise, you know, um, I don't have a drum set backstage and yes, I can work on my hands and stuff, which I, which I've been starting to do. Um, but all the time we spend out on the road, it's amazing how much time I don't get behind my kit, you know, and it's Other not like a guitar gig, yeah. player. Yeah. The, you know, the guitar player can sit on the bus and, and put on his headphones and play guitar for as many hours as he wants. You right. Know? Um, you I've always respected, <laughs> yeah, I know, man. I've always respected drummers that have become so good because how'd they get so good? When I was a kid, I was constantly chasing a place just to practice where I wouldn't get the police called on me, right. <laughs> <laughs> you know? So guys that actually find a place where they can make noise and really woodshed, um, it's a real challenge and a real feat. You know, I don't mm-hmm. think a lot of musicians that don't play drums realize what it takes to actually become really good at drums, you know? Yeah, it's amazing. I get so many emails and, you know, I ask people what they're struggling with. And so many times people come back and they say, I'm just looking for a place to practice. I don't right? have, I live in an apartment and I can't play my drums. So, and there's no place to rent around here. Like you and I both live, you know, I'm in the city, so I have to, I got to rent a rehearsal place. Right. And then you got to drive there. Which Luckily you know, for me, I can walk, but, but. Well, that's cool. But, that's uh, cool. Yeah. But normally you'd have to drive, you know. Right. And, and yes, you can get the electronic kit, but you know, what all drummers say, it's just not quite the same. Right. You know? Right. So, um, yeah, but so I just came back. So my chase uh, is just about kind of groove, really. I, I just want music to feel good and, and represent uh, in that lane, you know. So was that more of a, a listening uh, was that an, a listening endeavor or was it a playing endeavor to get you back into to grooving? Because I wonder how, if I stopped playing drums now, how in 10 years, if I came back, one, I would probably sound even more ridiculous than I do now <laughs> by far. But I would wonder, like, I, would, I don't know exactly how I would approach it. Getting, I guess I would just be playing along with tunes. How did you do it? I just uh, was thrown into the fire, you know. Um, you know, uh, it, this band Vintage Trouble happened so fast, and I was just, you know, before that, just kind of jumping in on these jam sessions and just doing doing what I could do. Um, but you know, I had played a lot of years before that, so I had some some facility. You know, sure. I did, it was just really rusty. You know, mm-hmm. um, but it was really about since I was in a band situation again. Once it got up and rolling, you know, I had to serve the mu- the music. You know. And my best way to do that in this band, I thought at the time, was to just, you know, try to make it feel good. Um, but I couldn't help but being a little excitable. You know, I, I like, I think my style is a little excited. You know, I come from a time in music when it was a little more, I think, festive than, well, you know, you can't really say that because music is so broad. So what mm-hmm. does that even mean? But when I was growing up, you know, music was about, um, you know, rock and roll was about a good time and, it was about happiness and fun, you know? Yeah. And then, you know, Seattle came and then it was kind of about darkness, you know? Um, and then I don't know, I, you know, I'm not really much into pop and stuff per se, so I couldn't really, you know, make a comment on that. Um, I, I just, I love drummers that are a little more raw, that have a little more character than just kind of laying down 
apart and kind of getting lost in the music, even though that's serving the song. Mm-hmm. I've just always been into a little bit more of drummers that just had a little more character, you know, the Mitch Mitchells, um, um, you know, John Bottoms, you know, drummers that were in bands that were a little more raw, I guess. So, right. so you could get away with a little more character, mm-hmm. I guess. You that, know? that you definitely have. And you're also... You're also very, uh, very specific on the sounds that you want out of your drums, and I know that you were you were a stickler when you were in the studio recording your record about how you you were like, oh, I don't want it, I, I don't want you to put all this shit on top of it and compress it and do this and do that, right? Yeah, it's it's so true, and 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 I'm not you know an ace at it or anything, and I always have to to fight for it because you know your your average engineer, even if it's a sound engineer out on a gig, you know is is probably going to want to have a pillow in the bass drum and uh, you know but it depends on the music you're playing you know but for mm-hmm. me you know when I go and listen to bands you know I don't hear much presence in the bass drum and it just kind of sounds like a thud and a lot of times I don't think that that's serving the actual music that's being played and I think that it can have a little more character so I started taking pillows out of my bass drum probably as a rebellion to you know try to make my bass drum sound like a real bass drum again mm-hmm. and almost fighting against the sound engineer like you're not going to thud my bass drum out and then put an effect on it to make it sound like a drum again i'm going to try to make it sound like a drum <laughs> let's just do it for real yeah let's just make it sound like a drum you know um so and then you know i started playing drums with uh, a bass drum with no hole i was really going for that you know i love that whole gene krupa big band era sound you mm-hmm. know um and you know of course john bottom didn't use one and i, I keep referring to John Bottom, I'm not a John Bottom nut. In fact, if I had to sit down and play a Zeppelin song today, I wouldn't structurally know the song, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not like I've been in those bands, but I use him as an example because I think he's such a great example for so many things. Rawness and, of course, bass drum sound. Um, but yeah, going in the studio, you know, it was a little bit of a battle. Um, I think Mike should be a little further away from the drum. That's not my technique. That's, you know, many people use that. I don't think Mike should be right up on the drum all the time. I, I mean, think Zeppelin I, used to record in, in churches, you know, with the mics 20 feet away from them. I know, man, right? It and it's like... It's amazing. Yeah, when people say, you know, you can't do it and stuff, it's, well, you know, there's there's been some great bands that have gotten away with this stuff and their drums sound amazing, you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I just want my drums to sound kind of raucous and real. And a lot of times in doing that, I, I make them sound really horrible, to be honest with you. Like if you listen to our first record, my drums sound so awful that it's beautiful. It's <laughs> yeah. incredible how beautifully awful they sound. And that has character and attitude. And they sound like drums and, you know, they serve the song, you know. Um, so it's not about me coming up with the best drum sound. It's about me coming up with the most real sound and then hoping to have an engineer that will capture it, you mm-hmm. know. And again, that's for the music. Of, of course, that's not for everybody. That's just for me. You know? Yeah. And I, I agree with you. I love, you know, it's funny because it, for the right situation, sometimes I like, you know, a super tight kick and I want it to be punchy. And, and Absolutely. you know, if, if it's Dave Garibaldi, then, it, you know, I want it to be a little bit more, you know, everything a little bit tighter but with you guys especially the sound that you got and it's so hard to describe your sound i don't i don't know how you got if someone asked you what your band what kind of band you play in how would you describe it well we we kind of coined the frame uh, the, the phrase primitive soul yeah because we are a soul band you know we're but we also use the term rhythm and blues mm-hmm. um, more so than r&b you know r&b right. today might be a Justin Timberlake, whereas rhythm and blues might be old, you know, Tina Turner, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, so we like to say rhythm and blues with the whole term. But 
you know, primitive soul, rock and roll, and primitive because we've kind of, we hit a little harder than your average uh, quintessential soul act, you know. Um, we got a little more of a rock and roll punky kind of edge, um, which I kind of try to bring to it. You know, I, I tried mm-hmm. to play into the clash of the band a little bit more. Like, you know, we have a great soul singer, but I feel like if you if you put a great soul drummer behind them, you know, with a really tight kick and, you know, just a small sound, then it might just sound a little too on the nose, so to speak. You know, you take a soul singer and you put a rock and roll drummer and a rhythm and blues bass player, you know, it's just that we got a lot of clashes in this band, you know, yeah. we, we don't always line up and that's kind of what gives us a little bit of an edge, I think. So I'm kind of trying to play against grain on a lot of this stuff, you know, mm-hmm. um, if it's a ballad, I might want my drums to sound really, you know, kind of big and obnoxious. And if it's, if they're big, then I might want to be more tight and pocket, you know, in my sound. Like I'm just always trying to play the opposite, not always, but, um, I'm amazed at how many times it actually works out stylistically, you know, and gives the music a real character when I try to go opposite of what it might be calling for, you know? Yeah. It's fun. I, do you, do you listen to, uh, you know, the rebel sons at all? Yeah, absolutely. I, th- I kind of like, not that you guys sound the same by any means, but like you guys kind of have the same vibe in terms of like, in terms of the rawness and and just yeah. the realness, you know, I just I I always think of you two in the same vein, but not but not necessarily stylistically, but it's more of just just the the rawness and that that aggre- not not I don't even want to say aggression, but I think you you get what I'm saying. Of well, yeah, you're not the only one. I mean, a lot we, a lot of our fans interchange are interchangeable, you know, mm-hmm. um, and we both came up at the same time in London actually and played a show together you know, which was called like the next big thing or something like it was like this little buzz kind of show where like, you know, these are the bands to look out for, you know, mm-hmm. and we fell in love with those guys and we, we've been friends with them ever since and have nice. even played, played with them a number of times and have even talked about doing a tour with them and shows with them and um, they're actually really good friends of ours and I love the band and I love them for exactly that is that they're raw, you know, mm-hmm. they're like a good old fashioned rock and roll band, bass, drums, guitar and vocals, you know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And you guys do well in Europe too. Yeah, it's really kind of we're we're really popping in Europe way more than America actually. Which is crazy. So how did actually it's funny that you said that because I didn't in, didn't that happen to Nirvana? Like they were they were like bigger in Europe or I'm not sure, but I know that so many bands have have popped over there before here. Even right. Jimmy Hendri- even Jimmy Hendrix went to had to go to Europe right. to right. become right. cool, you know. Yeah. <laughs> To return to America, Jimi Hendrix, he first had to go to, to, to the UK, you know? Yeah, yeah, I forget. Maybe it was Blind Mel. Or it was somebody that, like, went to Europe and then they came home. Uh, or they were, like, huge in, in Europe and then came home and were like, oh, we're big here now, too. But we weren't when we left kind of thing. It was, it was Yeah, there's been a lot, of, a lot of bands that have done that throughout the ages, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, which is just kind of a weird thing. You know, we, we find the listener over there just a, a little bit. You know, their their ears just seem, it's a blanket statement, I know, but their ears just seem to be a little more open to receive new music and um, they don't really get pegged into certain styles. Like, you know, you can listen to metal and you can listen to jazz and you can listen to this, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't know. I mean, I couldn't say enough good things about the UK, to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, but also, you know, Germany, believe it or not, great, great music country and Spain, insanely good and even France and Italy too. These people are extremely passionate 
about their music and they come out and they support live music and they let you know um, that they love you, you know? Right. And it's really great to play in front of crowds like that, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, Europe has been really good to us. It's funny. I had – there was there was a band here, uh, the, the New Master Sounds. I don't know if you're familiar with them or not. But, I'm not, yeah. Uh, they're like – they're an organ soul band. And they came over here and I asked them I, – you know, I said uh, – and I was in an organ soul band at the time and we were thinking about going over to the UK. And the guy was like, yeah, they don't really dig this kind of stuff over there. Really? Which was strange. And then like – Two or three years later, all I saw was like organ bands from here going over there and playing. Isn't that funny? Like one guy says it because he and his friends don't like it, but that's because probably he and all the other people or all the other people do love it, you know? Right, right. (laughs) (laughs) It was just kind of crazy. So how did the whole, how did that whole thing come about with you guys going over there? And like you guys did the tour with the Who and then who else were, did did you guys do a tour with the Stones too? We, We played with the Stones in Hyde Park and, um, it was just one show, to be honest with you. But okay. we we did fifty one dates with the Who, That's and then insane. we just and then we just came off uh, forty nine dates with ACDC, which was kind of cool. Wow! And then we've toured with um, Lenny Kravitz and and um, God, so many bands. You know, it's funny. Like we've 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 opened for bands from the Cranberries all the way to a band like ACDC, for example. Yeah. Um, you know, which is kind of an attest, a testament to just good old fashioned, you know, rhythm and blues, you know, mm-hmm. everything sort of started there, you know, in old soul, early rock and roll, um, that, you know, people can always find something within it, you know, that they're not going to hate on because it's just good old fashioned rock and roll in a sense. You yeah. Know? So it all came from, man. It's right. I mean, it's, it's pretty basic, you know? Um, but yeah, we, we went there because we, really loved this time in music, you know, that whole Stax era. Um, yeah, me too. When, you know, Booker T went with, with um, well, actually Stax sent their whole, art, or their whole roster over there, that mm-hmm. tour called the Vault Tour in 1967, and brought good old-fashioned American, you know, soul and rhythm and blues to the UK. And it, it was such a successful tour, you know, that the UK has always since then loved it, you know. And they sent their bands here, like the Rolling Stones, you know, to, to gather up some of that knowledge, you know, and bring it back to them. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's been a really amazing synergy, obviously, as you know, between the UK and America for all these years, you know, we've been sharing, you know, we've been taking the other people's music and spitting it back out to them for many years, you know, yeah. I mean, it all started in America, but they've really accepted it over there. Um, so we kind of wanted to do that. And we also just thought it might be a better place for us. And we were right. I mean, we went over there, we did that show called the Jules Holland Show. We were only supposed to be there for three weeks. We ended up staying for four months, and we went from playing small clubs to um, theaters with Brian May of Queen opening, and then stadiums opening for Bon Jovi, and it all happened within within this four month period. Wow! Um, and that's a kind of a testament to the UK. I mean, they accepted us, and they were like, "Okay, let, let's hear these guys." You know? Yeah. Um, it was, it was I mean, cool. you guys popped. I, I remember you know, just hearing you guys. And then it's like, all of a sudden you guys pop pretty quickly and the the band's only five years old. Yeah. And you know, we, I guess, I mean, we are popping, but on a, still on a very underground sort of level, which I th- still think is kind of cool. I mean, a lot of people have heard of the band now, mm-hmm. but, but you know, we don't have radio hits, you know, we're not necessarily that band right, right. now. Um, we're still kind of this, this band that, 
people are still discovering, you know, and that's why we toured for so long on our first record because we would release it in these new territories and then that territory would discover it and then we would have to go there and play, you know, like Japan and the UK and even in America. So this, this little record just kept going and going and going and going, mm -hmm. you know. Um, but it feels kind of cool, to be honest with you, to still be sort of on that underground kind of grassrootsy kind of level. I mean, yeah, we're playing some huge shows and opening for some huge bands, but we're still kind of a small band, to be honest with you. What size clubs do you guys play in the States? Um, this year, we, you know, on this last tour, you know, 500 to 1,000 seaters. Okay. Yeah. That's a nice and level, though. It's, it's, it's not a bad level, you know. It's not a bad level at all, to be honest with you. Yeah. But, you know, we're still, I still feel like we're kind of an under, I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but, um, you know, it's, it's amazing what radio will do for you. It'll take you over the top. And if, it, if you're not on the radio, you're kind of just hanging out underneath um, and that could really sort of linger there for a while, you know, mm -hmm. um, I feel like that's kind of where we're at and I kind of like it to be honest with you. I still like to be the underdog and still fighting. And I think it gives us character and it makes us work hard and we don't take things for granted. You know, um, I like, I like where we're at. There, it's kind of reminds me of a band. Um, I interviewed the drummer and why am I not, I love these guys too. And I can't think Oh, the revivalists, uh, from New Orleans and same kind of deal. I mean, they're, you know, they're playing like 500 to a thousand seat clubs yeah, uh, all throughout the States. Great band, but they're like, they're sort of on that cusp where they're, you know, they're not quite there yet, but it's, but it's an amazing time, you know, they're, yeah. they're well, those 500 to a thousand people, they want to be at that show because they really sought it out. It's not like their friends are pulling them there because right. they're on the radio. I'm saying, you know, there's 500 to a thousand revivalist fans there, you know? Right. Just, which a, is a cool place to be because you, you're in a room full of people that really adore you and, and it makes for a great party, you know? Mm -hmm. um, I think that's the drug of rock and roll is to get out and play in front of people that, that there's a real good synergy between you and your fans. And um, I think bands like that that are on that level are, are, are really at a great place and would probably look back at those years with a, a great fondness, you know? I totally agree. I totally agree, man. So what do you think the, the future is moving forward? Where's, where, what's the next, uh, I don't want to say what's, what's the next goal, but what, what are you guys getting, working on now? Well, um, again, I love it that this is a, the drummer's form so I could talk about drum stuff. You yeah. know what I mean? So I guess that, you know, radio's not going for this band per se because I think sonically – we're just a little too rough around the edges, you know? Mm -hmm. And I know that there's some bands out there that are rough around the edges, but, but for some reason they're still sounding a little bit modern, you know? And, and people say we have a modern sound all the time, but I don't think when they say that they mean sonically, you know? Um, right. So I guess to answer your question is that, you know, we're, we're probably going to make a third record and, you know, I hope that we're not going to chase radio stuff because we didn't chase it on our first or second record. Um, but it's becoming apparent that, that sonically, if we want to boost it up to the next level, we might have to, you know, sonically change some stuff up. And a lot of that might come down to the drums, you know, and, and it's a scary, scary thing because I want to hit real drums and make them sound raw. And, and you know, I want to play uh, the drums from the beginning of the song all the way to the end. You know, that's how we record. Mm -hmm. I don't want to 
punch in or I don't want to loop anything. And again, it's a big world and, and that's great for a lot of people. It, it, it's not what I want to do. I want to perform because, you know, we record our records live mm-hmm. and as a whole band, we record them live, you know. Um, so if somebody messes up, you know, we got to go back and do the whole take again. You right. know? And, you know, sonically, maybe we need to change some things. I don't know. I don't know if this stuff I should even be talking about. I'm just saying what I feel off the top of my head. Right. Uh, when you ask the question, what's next? I think what's next is that we have to figure uh, out if you're going to chase out, radio or not. Yeah. Figure out if we're going to chase radio, which I know we're not, but figure out if we're going to maybe try to be a little more modern. And by doing that, we might bring in a producer that's kind of young and hip and see what his ideas might be. Mm-hmm. And I'm just afraid that sonically, you know, they might try to change me up a bit. And, you know, that's a little frightening, but I got to be honest, I'm not, I'm not the guy that's going to say no, you know, I really want to be open because I think saying yes is, is so many great things happen when you say yes, you know? Sure. I think (laughs) a thing that's really interesting with you guys is that, and, and I don't know, I'm sure this isn't going to, this isn't going to rest your worries at all, but I think that you guys can take your sound and sort of alter it. I think your band lends itself to your sound being altered different ways and it would, and it still sounds good. Yeah. And you're right. Does that make any sense? No, it totally does. Like we've even listened to some of our recordings and been like, you know, we could maybe re-record that. It's a good song. It just maybe it needs to have a little bit more of a sonic modern edge to it, you know? Mm -hmm. And so you're exactly right in what you say. Hmm. Yeah. I just, I was just thinking about it. Like you could, some guy could, you could probably use like some of your tunes for, a hip hop track or something and it would sound and it would sound correct in in that vein and i think stemming from from R&B maybe that's the reason why it works sort of maybe that's the reason why you guys have been able to tour with all of these different people and and sure. play with all of these uh all of these different styles of bands and different genres because you guys are rooted in, in the thing that all popular music is rooted in and that's R&B or rhythm and blues as you guys say no you're so right and and we might be really close to it and you know um part of me is afraid of it because i kind of like again being the underdog or just being just you know i don't know i just i'm just kind of a purist i guess you know mm-hmm. um, i don't want to feel like you know we sold something that we didn't want to sell to try to do something bigger you know i think right. that band like this we need to continue to stick to our guns and radio will come to us. I mean, you see it with so many different bands, like the mm-hmm. Black Keys, for example. Yeah. Eventually, the Black Keys just became so cool that radio wasn't playing them. Radio right. eventually just had said, "We have to play these guys. They're just too cool." You know, everybody loves them, mm-hmm. and they're by far not. The, I, I don't. I don't think they change sonically at all. No, and and what happens is they change the paradigm of radio in a sense. I mean, I'm not saying they specifically, but bands mm-hmm. like that, then they change radio, and then radio starts to try to find bands like that, you know? Right. I mean, there's bands like Fish that have never had a radio hit ever, and they're, you know, packing 25,000-seat stadiums and have been for 25 years. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. You know? And, you know, people call us a live band, so we're not going to quit doing what we do, which is we're going to get out and play live, you know? Mm-hmm. So, so speaking of live, where uh, do you guys? So you're home now. When do you guys go back out? Um, we're gonna do a New Year's thing down in Long Beach, and then we have some spotted stuff. I got a feeling our our long tour days might be behind us for a little while. Like um, I, when I say we've been on tour for five years, I really am not exaggerating. Mm-hmm. I think 
about 85% of five years has been out on the road. That's insane. Uh, yeah. And I know that cause I live in, you know, where I live, it's like, I come home and it's like, you know, you haven't been home in 10 months, you know, mm-hmm. it's like, oh, I'm sorry, baby. <laughs> but, <laughs> but you know, like I'm constantly reminded that, that I'm not home. Right. You know? I mean, do you have a wife and kids and all that? I, I have a, a kid and a, and a, and a, and a lady that I probably should be married to, but you know, we haven't quite gone there, but we consciously had a kid and she's nine years old and I got a great, you know, a great family, you right. know? Right. Um, so it's tough, you sure. know, it's really tough. Yeah, so I, I know I've never, I've never, I just got married actually. And I haven't toured, I don't have any kids. So I never toured while, being married or having kids. So, and I know it was hard having a girlfriend touring. So sure. So, uh, I can't, I can't imagine what it's like for you. And I know that, you know, guys do it and it, and it's rough. So five and a half year or five years, 85% of that being gone is no, no small feat. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, guys do it, but guys also, you know, they also don't do it. Like I was talking to a friend the other day who said something and I don't think he was taking a shot at me. I think he just said it, but he's like, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I don't tour anymore because I have a kid. And it's like, I'm thinking, well, you know, I have a kid too, but I am going to keep touring. And I didn't take it personal. What I, what I took from it was that, you know, the truth is this is what makes me happy. And this is the shot that I have to actually make something, um, of myself perhaps financially as well. So I don't know. I mean, this is what I have to do, you know? Right. I mean, otherwise I think I would be unhappy at home, you know? And, and in the end, I'm hoping this works out better for my family. I mean, I, I am kind of doing it with the long term goal, you know, in my sights, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, to each their own, everyone has to work on their own level, you know, but right. Right. Yeah, I I agree that what works for you doesn't work for somebody else. What works for somebody else doesn't work for me. You know, it's it's yeah. your journey to be on and and you know, your decision to make. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And lately I've been bringing my family out, which has been amazing. That's awesome. And it's it's even kind of been, you know, it it's it makes for great family adventures that you got great memories, you know. Mm-hmm. Um what we learned here recently is that we have to create memories for ourselves as a family because we're not spending time as a family. So we're not having family memories, um, as our family's growing, you know? So I've been getting my ladies out on the road and creating adventures for them. And it's been pulling us together in amazing ways. So it's been a nice journey that way as well. That's a good idea, man. Yeah. Yeah. So what would you be doing if, if you weren't playing with them? Well, it's a good question. To be honest with you, I I burned out on the acting tip. It just became kind of became a grind and, Mm. um, I had a really fun chase doing it. I'm not going to lie to you. And I might still, you know, be doing it a little bit, but, uh, I probably wouldn't have done that. I'm, I'm really interested in writing. Um, I've always written and, you know, a lot of my spare time out on the road is spent writing. So writing, writing music or writing. Um, I'm writing a novel right now. Awesome. And, you know, it's just something that I've always chased. And, you know, I think, you know, I'm, I'm getting to be a little bit more of a, you know, my writing is excelling because I've done it for so long and we'll see if something comes out of it in the end, you know, cause I've never really taken a shot at making something of it, but it's just something that I gravitate to when I have free time. Mm-hmm. So we'll see what happens with that. But, um, when I wasn't playing music, I was raising my family and, and, you know, I had a storage company that I was, that I started in a moving company in Los Angeles, um, which did really well. And I ended up having to fold that because the band was, you know, making me, you know, we were so busy basically. Mm -hmm. So I basically lost my business, which was floating me, uh, in the name of this rock and roll band I'm in. 
Um, so I kind of gave up one for the other. So I'm hoping something, you know, comes of this. Um, but to answer your question, if I wasn't playing music, I'd probably just be raising my family at this point. Makes sense. I guess, you know, but gosh, man, I think artists, you know, people that are artistically inclined, you know, they start kicking the walls down if, if they're not creating something, you know, uh, if I wasn't acting, how, yeah. I was writing. if I wasn't writing, I got to play music. If I'm not playing music, you know, I, I got to be chasing some kind of muse, mm-hmm. you know, and, I, and it's not just me. I, I, every artist I know, that's how they are. That's you know? how this old podcast got started. I started, um, that's, that's cool. I moved I to the New York area and I was like, man, there's so many people here that I should take a lesson from. I was like, I don't really want to take a lesson from him. I just kind of want to hang out and talk drums. And so I, you know, connected with a couple of people and then thought, hmm, maybe I could record this. And then I was like, maybe other people would want to listen to this. <laughs> so then- I love, look, what, look what you created. I mean, you play drums, you have all that going for you, you have all that knowledge, you, you threw it into something else, this podcast. I mean, you got 140 plus interviews going with, I mean, this thing, you know, this is going to be a major, it, it already is a, a cool force out there in the music business. You've really created something that is really, really cool. You it's know? crazy, man. I, yeah. I'll t- like I talked to my wife about it. Like this month I hit 250,000 downloads, so, which is wow. That's incredible. And who yeah. knows what, what you'll parlay that into, you know? I know. I wish they gave record. I, I wish I got a plaque for it though. <laughs> <laughs> well, you never know. You never know. Maybe that's coming with podcasts. I'll have all these, <laughs> all these plaques on my wall. People will think they're records of it. I don't know. That's just for my podcast. I wouldn't doubt it. Podcasts, are, they seem to be really popular these days. Yeah, they're they're blowing up. So so hopefully yeah. uh, hopefully it'll continue. And this is a good one. You know, podcasts. Like I, I'm not real familiar with a lot of podcasts, but mm-hmm. there's a lot of small ones, and you know they all small start small, and you know they of course want to become something, but. Um, to really have a successful podcast, I think, is a major feat, actually, you know, to get listeners and to have a topic that you can continue on. Um, so I would say you've done amazingly well. Well, thanks, man. I wasn't I wasn't looking for I wasn't fishing. For no, a but, not, but you know, I'm just saying my friend has a podcast and, and it's struggling and and it just seems like the, the podcast you hear are the ones that are successful. There's a hundred million other out there that, that aren't succeeding, you know. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. Tell your yeah. friend if he needs any, if he has any questions, man, tell him to <laughs> you get got it. It. seriously, get him in touch with me. Nice. I'd love to. Um, so speaking of getting in touch, what's, what's a way that people can, can get in touch with you or interact with you on social or find out where you guys are playing or. Yeah, they can always go to, you know, finish Um, we have our own Facebook page. I have my own Facebook page. Um, it's funny. I'm not that guy that has its own, his own website. I think I need to start, you know, and maybe that's something I could talk to you about eventually because I know sure. that you, you kind of are doing that kind of thing as well, right? Mm-hmm. But, you know, to, you know, I'm not a great networker. I, I don't know that I have to be a networker per se. I mean, I'm in a band and, and I'm kind of secure with it. Um, but I think it's kind of cool to, to, to get yourself out there and kind of get known. I've just never been that guy per se. Right. Um, so I don't have a website, but, you know, I have a Facebook page. I'm always happy to talk to drummers. Um, you know, anyone wants to contact me and, and – chat drums as I chat drums with anybody all day long. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Well, I think I'm going to, uh, wrap it up here and I, I appreciate you taking the time to chat with me, man. It was, it was nice to, to sit down. And like I said, big fan of the, the stuff that you guys are doing. So keep up, keep what you're doing and, and don't change, man. Keep that, keep that raw aggression and, and, uh, and sort of unbound, uh, sound you guys have going. It's great. I love it, Nick, and thanks so much for um, having me on. I'm honored to be here. So, uh, and, I'll, and I'll see you next time I'm in New York. I'll try to look you up, and we'll hang out. Good deal. I'm actually moving to L.A. in a couple months, so 
Oh, you are. Well, I then am. look me up. Yeah, I'm, I will. Hey, I, I was born in LA, so I can help you with any uh, anything you got going out here. That would be fantastic. I love it. Awesome, man. Thanks, thank, Nick. Thank you again very much. I'll talk to you soon. All right, see you, man. See you, brother. All right, there you have it, Mr. Richard Danielson. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I enjoyed doing it. It was really cool to chat with him. He's he's a, a really cool guy, and uh, like I said, the band is just killing. So check them out, VintageTrouble.com. They're amazing. And also for all the links to everything that we talk about during the podcast, visit DrummersResource.com forward slash session one. Four or five for all the details on that. Also, Drummers Resource Pro, you have about a week left to sign up for the low introductory early bird rate that you can lock in forever if you sign up now. And Drummers Resource Pro is a way to interact with and learn from legendary drummers and music industry pros through live Q&A masterclass sessions that I have every other week. And for more information on that, head over to DrummersResourcePro.com. And again, the price is going to go up January 1st, so you can lock in a, a low rate on that uh, forever. So check it out, drummersresourcepro.com. And until the next podcast, keep drumming. I just realized this is the last podcast of the old year. So uh, happy new year to everybody. 2016 is coming up. So I hope you have a fantastic New Year's Eve. Be safe, please. Uh, and uh, thank you for an amazing year here at Drummers Resource. And here's to 2016. Cheers. I'll talk to you soon. Peace.